Welcome to Kill Chain, a platform cybersecurity and technology podcast presented by Fleet Defender. I'm your host, Marcus Q, and today I'm joined by Terry Reiner. Hello, everybody. And Kendall Bricko. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to be taking a look at some listener questions and providing you the answers to all your vehicle cybersecurity and technology questions. Today, we are going to be reading off a list of questions that we've gathered from our newsletter subscribers. Uh, and we have Terry Reinert, CEO of Fleet Defender, cyber warfare and cybersecurity expert here to answer those questions. So, Terry, are you ready? I am. Like, this is actually like the best part, honestly, like <laughs> answering questions, like any presentation I do, I try to get like through it as quick as I can just to get to the Q&A. Like, I feel like that's where the real fun is. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped up about this one. Awesome. Well, we're going to kick it off with an easy one. Uh, and this one says, why would someone hack my car? What would people be interested in hacking my car for? Well, like, are we talking about just you as a consumer, like just a normal civilian so. consumer? Passenger car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, cause it matters, right? Like the actual like threat does change between whether you're an individual, whether you're a commercial fleet, whether you're in agriculture, whether you're in logistics. And so talking about just like normal consumers, you know, just normal day-to-day person, um, most of that is going to be centered around kind of two things. Uh, well, one thing really, and that's making money, right? So stealing the vehicle, that's a big one. We're seeing a lot of that right now, um, right? Like we just had those researchers over in the UK um, publish that uh, um, the CVE regarding using like CAN bus injection attacks to steal cars. Um, so that's that's a big moneymaker, right? Like stealing cars, chop them up, you know, whatever organized crime does, um, so money. Uh, and then the second one, um, you know, it's, it's not quite emerging yet. It's going to be, it's like right on the horizon. That's ransomware, right? Like you can't, you want to go to work, (laughs) you pay us a Bitcoin or, uh, or you're not driving your car today. Uh, so it's, it's mostly like money driven when it comes to like consumers. What do you think about like privacy concerns and stuff? Like people hacking into a car to say, listen in on somebody. You can do that. That's a great question. I I think that kind of moves it to a category beyond just a normal consumer, um, still kind of civilian, normal person, but like, imagine like the, the CEO of like Coca-Cola or something, right? Like their schedule, who they're meeting with, what they're saying, what they're thinking, like there is a massive amount of like competition sensitive information that probably gets discussed in vehicles and in cars and stuff. And so, um, even like knowing where they go, when they go, where they meet, like, yeah, now we're starting to talk like espionage, like, you know, counterintelligence type of things. And so I think if you're like a politician, a governor, you know, a Senator, uh, if, if you're like a CEO of a major company or something like, then you do have to be worried about it, but not because someone's going to steal your car, but because now they're actually looking for like a competition advantage, something along those lines. So going back to the, uh, making a profit or making money off of it, not just stealing the vehicles and trying to sell it or chopping them and uh, selling the parts, but can people also make money off of stealing data from the vehicles? You can. Um, I don't think we've really seen that yet. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, car manufacturers, um, they can exploit that data, right? Like if you buy the car, you sign a contract, they're collecting location data. Like that's 
really interesting from an ad perspective, right? Like I can target, you know, Kendall with ads because I know he goes to scissors and scotch to get his haircut. You know, I know he shops at, you know, I don't know. Where do you shop target, you know, Walmart, wherever Amazon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That one's a little difficult to track a vehicle, but now if I was on Amazon vehicles, I know how many times they come to your house. Yeah. So like that becomes almost a different category, right? Like where they could exploit the data from an ad perspective, but it would be a criminal endeavor to actually hack your car. Like it's, it's illegal in most countries. Um, and then to, to collect that data. So I don't see like legitimate businesses doing that because they're not going to break the law in order to do that. They're going to do things like sell you smart IOT devices that listen to you all day long or sell you a phone that listens to you all day long. And they're going to pick up the data that way. Yep. And so uh, this was our most asked question is really why would somebody hack a car or truck? And so we kind of talked pre-podcast how, you know, really car and truck are two different use cases of why somebody might actually go for them. And so in terms of trucks, if we're talking about commercial fleets, you know, is that a similar case where financial motivation, ransomware, the same type of motivations for hacking a truck? It is, um, but it also opens a whole other worm, a whole other box of worms, right? Like it, it becomes much more massive, right? Because like with logistics and supply, construction and mining, like agriculture, we kind of talked about this on previous episodes too, where, you know, if you want to prevent a country from responding to something, like let's just say some country in the world, you know, evil dictator, they want to go and do evil things to their neighbors. And they want to make sure like either like the United States or any of the European union, you know, like these like democracies that usually try to keep peace around the globe, um, like can't respond. If you can shut down their ability to grow food, to move food, to move supplies, like the military is not going to go fight a war. They're going to be busy trying to feed Americans, feed Europeans and things like that. So now you get this actual like cyber warfare play coming into the piece where they actually want to disrupt economies and they want to shut down nations for, you know, many different reasons that they'd want to do that. And so that's so that kind of opens up a whole new perspective. Now, theft, ransomware, all that stuff is rampant in logistics. Like, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, so like we've seen like, um, reports about organized crime all throughout the Northeastern United States, where they're starting to use more advanced cyber techniques to steal trucks. Um, if you're tracking trucks, if you're tracking the manifest of the load, and so you know what truck it is that you want to intercept and you want to steal, um, it, it lightens the load, right? Like there's organized crime units that sit outside the port of Miami and they see what's being loaded. They know which containers they want. And then they follow that truck all throughout the United States, waiting for the right moment where the driver is not in the vehicle, goes inside to have lunch or dinner, whatever, taking a shower at a truck stop. And then they're able to actually interdict a truck and, and steal it then. And so right now, like they're doing it with physical people, right? Like tracking and driving after the truck. If you can do that digitally, like you get inside their their, their telematic system, you get inside their you know load manifests and, and all of that. And you're able to track the vehicle because you've got a you know piece of malware on it, then uh, that makes that a lot easier. Mm. And just like any business, what do you try to do? Optimize processes to save money. Well, if you can get rid of 50 humans that are just driving and following trucks that you got to pay out, and you just do it all digitally, you just saved yourself a lot of you know one risk and two money. Yeah. So I mean, organized crime works just like a business. Yeah. It really Maximize does. profits. Sure wow. does. So the next question on here is somewhat related and probably our second most asked questions is 
how difficult is it to hack a car or truck? Like, is this something that, uh, you know, somebody can learn online or is this something that takes a very specific specialized skill set developed over a long period of time? Uh, changing. So great question. And that is changing, right? Like, so if you had asked me that question 10, 15 years ago, I would have said, yes, it takes a specialized team, like nation state level cyber warfare experts um, to actually find the vulnerabilities to be able to exploit the vehicle or to generate the capabilities to actually do that. Um, we've seen so much, we've seen such a rapid increase in connected technologies and also standardization too across like, instead of having a hundred different operating systems to choose from, you know, the industry is now kind of boiled down to like five or six. So like, if you find a vulnerability, like Sam Curry, like his, his, uh, API attack, affected like 16 million cars yeah, from like multiple different brands because they've all standardized on some of the same technologies. And so it's kind of lowered the bar for entry into like getting into these vehicles, which once were like very complex OT type systems, you can now kind of view them as like a more simplified IOT kind of device. Yeah. And Terry, you kind of touched on this uh, a little bit ago, but does someone need to be physically inside of the vehicle to steal it or hack it, or can they do it all remotely? Uh, both. Um, it it, it kind of depends on the actual architecture of the vehicle, like what make and model. Um, I mean, we were doing cyber research on some vehicles where completely remotely from a wireless exploit, um, we would be able to get into the infotainment unit and then pivot into other ECUs that could then affect things like door locks and engine inhibitor, like ignition inhibitors and things along those lines. And then there are some that like, you know, they run, you know, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi through the infotainment unit and the infotainment unit does not touch the CAN bus. And so then it becomes a little bit trickier, right? Because then, you know, you can't just jump on a CAN bus and do whatever you want, you know, because yeah. there's no security on a, on a CAN bus. Right. So is it easier to be in a vehicle? to hack a car if you're actually inside the vehicle oh yeah yeah if you can get physical access like it's game over i get that's that the that bar for entry there is very very low right like you can get like a little tiny like can device to where you can just communicate over can you know stick a, a can hat on top of a raspberry pi and now you've got something that'll fit in your pocket and if you can get inside the vehicle you just connect it up to the can bus and press a button and it's game over Wow. And then the so physical versus remote access uh, or hacking of a vehicle does that also depend on how interconnected the vehicle is or how electronic the vehicle is? It can. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, in today's age, most modern vehicles have the same level of digitization, electrification. That's the right word. I'm yeah, not sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, the more and more systems, the more complex the system, the more ripe it is for attack because, the more complexity means the more likelihood of vulnerabilities that you could be exploited by attackers. So for our next question is, I, I think it comes out of our newsletter where we send out a lot of different research that comes out uh, because that's a lot of the news stories that are coming out. Like you mentioned, Sam Curry's findings on the like 16 million cars vulnerable to this API attack is, uh, you know, there's a lot of researchers looking into this. And so what's their reward for doing so? I mean, it seems to be a whole industry or, you know, a focus for cybersecurity researchers to look at automotive 
is there a reward involved? Is it they they're just curious people or yeah, there there's a couple different reasons. I mean, like one, let's just talk about street cred, right? Like hackers are just like everyone else. Like when you find vulnerabilities, if you have zero days that you've discovered, like that's street cred, right? Like that's hypes you up. Um, and so you know, and with the legitimization of like the cybersecurity world and, and hackers and doing this kind of stuff, like you can put on your resume, hey, I've discovered 15 zero days in vehicles or this or that. Like that's gonna land you a job on a cybersecurity team at Ford, at Toyota, at at any of these companies, like in a heartbeat, right? Like so it makes you more attractive to recruiters and to companies because you have this like awesome experience. Um you know, on the flip side, you have um, bug bounty programs where like companies will actually pay you if you find a vulnerability and you disclose it in an ethical way, meaning like you tell them, I think it's like 90 days before going public with it and getting a CVE. So that way they have 90 days to like fix it and patch it. So that way, once it's published, then like people can't just go out there and use it. Um, so like if you do like an ethical disclosure through a bug bounty program, you can get paid. Um, and then there's other competitions like um, Pwn to Own. It's part of Cansec West in um, uh, Vancouver every year. Um, Tesla, for the last like four years, five, four or five years, they actually send Tesla vehicles to Pwn to Own. And if you successfully exploit it, and depending on like how good your exploit is and what you can actually do and what effects you show, not only do you win money, they literally give you the car. Wow. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like free Tesla. Like if you go hack a Tesla, they give you the car. Like free Tesla that you've hacked. <laughs> yeah. And and they're yeah. they're like the the first OEM that I've seen that actually says, hey, let's put our car out there and let's let people actually attack it so we can learn from this. I mean, huge kudos to Tesla for doing that, right? Like just that's awesome that they're willing to like open it up. And then on the trucking side, you got like the cyber truck challenge. And like it just finished like last week, I think it was. And they like multiple OEMs on the truck side, like drove trucks there and let students hack it. And so That's that way really they cool. could learn from it. So, yeah. So there, there's a lot of reasons why researchers would want to do it. And just a quick question out of curiosity is how much is a bug bounty usually worth? Oh, it really depends. I've seen some that are like 5,000, 10,000 to like up into like six figures, depending on like oh, wow. how good it is. Right. Like if you find something that like that exists in every version of something that goes back decades and gives you full root access. Like that's worth some money. Right. And, and funny it's, it's interesting. Cause like these companies have to actually start competing with nation states. Right. Cause like if you find a zero day that gives you root access to like windows or Linux or something like that, like nation states, like like legitimate cyber warfare entities would pay a lot of money for that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that. There's right? a whole black market for zero days. That's kind of terrifying. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this next question is actually a big question that I'm curious about because talking about all this vehicle hacking, you know, it's a scary thing. So what can the regular consumer like myself and Marcus and uh, a lot of the other people out there do to help protect themselves and their vehicles from cyber attacks? Is this the segue into the Fleet Defender ad? That <laughs> <laughs> no, that was later, but go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so... I mean, first and foremost, uh, and, and it get, it's it's a little pricey when you do this, but like people don't think about their car and the ECUs in their cars like they do a laptop because they're very different. But you're installing updates on your laptop. You're installing updates on your iPhone like every week, like all the time. When was the last time you took your car to the dealership and said, hey, update all the software in my ECUs? Never, never. 
Exactly. And when you do, and if you ever do do that, you know what they're going to tell you? Absolutely. That'll be $2,500. Oh, wow. Or really? whatever the price is. It ain't cheap. on it. it. It ain't cheap, right? And so, because they got to have a technician actually physically plug into the car. And this, now, Tesla's different. They're doing over-the-air updates. Like they, I think they were one of the first. A lot of other OEMs are now starting to do that, too, which presents its own cybersecurity challenges. Right. Don't get me wrong. But like keeping the software in your car updated, even if it's like the older cars where you like go on the website, download a, 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 an installer, put it on a USB thumb drive, and plug the thumb drive in and you know turn the car on and have it update just update the software in your car however you can right like whatever mechanism is available and then the second one is is there are aftermarket like cyber protection tools i.e. fleet defender um that you can buy and install in your vehicles that will actually add a layer of protection so like monitor detect alert response like there are things that you can do and so like you know, Fleet Defender is obviously the 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 one that that we're going to market. We're one of the first out there, and we do full cyber intrusion detection on light duty and heavy duty vehicles. And so, as we're talking about you know software updates and cars, and it, it brings to mind like modern cars, right, with robust infotainment units, Wi Fi, Bluetooth. But if we think about older cars, like even from eighties, nineties, early two thousands, what year do cars really become vulnerable? Well. We actually did a lot of research on like early 2000 vehicles, like that were released like 2000, 2001, uh, and there were vulnerabilities in them. Um, now, am I going to exploit one, you know, 5,000 miles away over the internet? No, because they don't have a cellular modem in them. Um, some of them don't have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. That was still a little early for that too. So that is where like you would need that physical access to those vehicles um, in order to have some kind of effect on that vehicle. But I mean, everything, I mean, geez, we, we were looking at cars like 2008, 2009, like they were already, they already had full Bluetooth stacks. They already had full Wi-Fi stacks, like all kinds of stuff in it. They IP address driving around the country with an IP address. Right. And so, um, there's no really new modern vehicles that you're going to find that don't have that kind of remote connectivity, uh, and the features that you could do stuff remotely against. Right. And so would an older vehicle actually be more vulnerable if you're in like the early 2000s models where maybe they didn't have all the cybersecurity figured out yet or? Well, they still don't have cybersecurity figured out, right? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like they're looking at it and they're they're trying to make it. It's a very hard problem. Like this isn't easy. Like you can't just wake up tomorrow and be like, you know, CEO Toyota being like, you know what? I think today we're going to solve the cyber problem. <laughs> and by like 10 p.m. you're like, crushed it, right? I mean, this is a multi-decade problem and it only continues to evolve as technology evolves. And so, I don't know. I mean, it's like a trade-off, right? Like, so if you're driving like a 1960s Mustang, like, yeah, you're probably safe from cyber attack, to be honest. You might even be safe from an EMP attack. Like if you really want to go crazy down like the conspiracy theory prepper kind of round, but at the same time, now you're more vulnerable vulnerable to safety issues. You don't have anti-lock brakes, you know, you don't have airbags. You don't have the things that's going to protect you if you are in an accident. So what's the trade-off? You know, do you go with a modern, safe vehicle that's built with safety in mind, but is vulnerable to cyber attacks? Or do you go with something super old that has a complete different set of risks associated with it, right? I guess that's kind of where you want to go. Now, I'll take a 1960s Mustang just to drive on Sunday all yeah, day that's long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so now this question, uh, you touched on uh, remote access to vehicles, but is there a certain amount of distance somebody needs to be to the vehicle to remotely hack it or access it? Depends on the attack vector. 
right? Like if, if you're going over cellular, you could do it from anywhere in the world. It's just an IP address, mm-hmm. right? Super, super easy. Um, if you're going through like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, my answer is it all depends on how good your antenna is. Okay. Right. Like there's antennas that are probably used and developed by the military that are probably so good. They could probably hold a, a Wi-Fi f- connection from like way far away. Who knows? Like, I don't know. Right. Um, but like standard off the shelf components, you know, you can build Yagi antennas to, you know, hit Wi-Fi from pretty far distance. You know, we're talking like hundreds of meters, not miles. I'm actually, you could do miles too for Wi-Fi, but Bluetooth, you know, a little bit closer. So really depends on your attack vector. Now question on that. What is a Yagi antenna? Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's, I guess it's back to my ham radio <laughs> nerd days. Uh, Yagi, it's, it's a certain type of directional antenna. Okay. So like, you know, usually if you see like a little antenna sticking up, it's usually like omnidirectional. So it's radiating in 360 degrees all the way around it with a Yagi. Like you take that omnidirectional, you know, RF signature and you like focus it. So you get a lot higher power going in the direction that you want it to go. Um, you do get back lobes and you do get side lobes getting into RF, you know, radio frequency stuff here in engineering. But um, yeah, it's directional antenna. So then you can like establish connections from further away. So if you ever like look, go like when you're driving home, look at like power plants, uh, substations, or even like sewage, sewage plants or sewage substations and pump stations and stuff. You Somewhere in there, you'll see a pole with a, with a, with a horizontal bar with a bunch of like little vertical and te- like yep. little vertical wires sticking up across the length of it. That's a Yagi. And they're it's pointed at wherever the major collection is or the security operation center or the operation center for the city is. That's where they're pointing it to. And so like that's the direction of where the radio signal is supposed to go. That's a Yagi. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Terry, this is the next and last question, and I'm not sure if you can answer it. <laughs> but what is the craziest hack? That you've heard of or been a part of? Yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's what we thought. No, there, there. I can't publish things without getting government approval first. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, a future episode. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the the most interesting thing that I think about in terms of technology and cybersecurity and everything else is something that um, one of the C suites, I think it was at Lockheed Martin, said on a documentary about the F twenty two, and I, I I found it so striking and so amazing because he said he goes. What you, the public, sees out there is 50 years behind our latest and greatest technology that we're operating today in the classified world. Wow, that's amazing. So I would say the same thing about cyber. When you look at the CVEs, that's when it was first publicly disclosed. That doesn't mean it was just found. Oh, oh. There are bugs, there are zero days in systems that have existed for 15 or more years and have been alive for that long. And they're still zero days because no one else found them and publicly disclosed them. Oh gosh, that's crazy to think about. It is. It really, (laughs) really is. And so like, that's the crazy thing. And that's what makes this so hard, right? Because there's so much data about cyber attacks that like, you know, the military and the government sees against their systems. They don't release that information all the time because everyone's vulnerable to it. And if they released it, well, then everybody else is going to get start getting hit by it. Right. And there's stuff that they can do. Of course. I mean, they're top secret programs that, you know, they're developing capabilities to use in a national, you know, further our national security. If you disclose it, they get patched and then they lose that capability. You know, just like, you know, there was a a story about when um, a reporter leaked that they were tracking Osama bin Laden 
from his uh, sat phone or his uh, cell phone or sat phone. I think it was a sat phone. And so he immediately stopped using a sat phone and started using couriers. And that means it took like 15 more years to find him. Wow. And so like, yeah, like, so, so there's a lot of information out there that doesn't get disclosed, which would make our marketing a lot easier if it (laughs) were. Uh, But unfortunately, like, you know, obviously that, that information is not public. So um, yeah, craziest hack I've, I've ever heard of against vehicles and stuff. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go there, but uh, there's there's some <laughs> fantastic okay. James Bond level stuff that that that's that that I've seen. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I look forward to hearing about them in about twenty or thirty years. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> we'll we'll keep our eye on the CVE, and maybe when we're eighty, we'll learn about it. Yeah. Well, that's funny. A lot of people working in the government space, you know, like they're like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" It's like I'm not going to tell you, and hopefully, you'll never find out. Like, or, or I'm just a, you know, a pencil pusher. Well, that's it. You know, yeah. usually like I work in a call center. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, you know. Gosh. Well, if you want to learn more about how to protect your vehicle or your fleet's vehicles from cyber attack, check out fleetdefender.com. We've got a number of different resources on there, including, uh, you know, use cases as well as blog posts. So uh, give us a look, fleetdefender.com. Terry, Kendall, thank you for joining today. Yep, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And if you have questions, send them in and we'll do another one of these. This was fun. 